that we be the bitches of the Badlands. My name is Matthew Kroll. And home. Is it just a word or is it something you carry within you? My name is Shahir Dowd. And this is the only podcast about movies, specifically the film Nomadland. Nomadland. No Nomadland. No Mad. No Mads Mickelson. Land. Who's not in this? Who's, who's not, not in this movie? This. Accurate no. title. That's that's yeah. what should be the IMDb synopsis. Is it the IMDb synopsis? It's not. Spoiler yeah. alert for later on. It's uh, not. Well, that's a uh, so <laughs> not appearing in this film. <laughs> this is the film that essentially I think this is the movie along with last week's Minari that we have held over our top ten of the year to ensure that we get on the review roster sure, uh, as sure. it is winning awards left, right, and center. I believe Chloe Zhao is the most awarded director in the award season period of all time or something along those lines. There are a number of articles floating around right now. You must be excited about Chloe Zhao in some way because she is directing The Eternals. I Well, yes. So so it's I, I love that. I love that the next film by her will be like the, the entire total antithesis of... of of this film, like what, well, I don't know much about the Eternals. I, as I was researching Chloe Zhao, sure, I thought I would Google the what what is the Eternals. I'm and so it, sorry. And yeah, I was there was like gods and generations of 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 anti heroes and and character, and I was like, I don't know what this is. If they listen, <laughs> if Marvel hadn't pulled off an 11 year story arc, yeah, already, and they like, if it was even a 10 year story arc. I'd be like, I think this is going to be what breaks the machine. Because <laughs> the Eternals is so freaking odd. Yeah. Um, and and complicated in that sort of like 60s, 70s comic book way that like barely makes sense if you paid attention to it for 15 years. Like, I don't know. The Eternals. Again, I, I would have, I you know, Guardians worked and I was surprised by that. So, so Guardians. So Guardians yeah. Guardians works, and it was a surprise that Guardians worked because no one knew who the heck the Guardians of the Galaxy were outside of the comic book world, of course, before those films. The, the thing is, those are still based around mortal beings for the mm. most part. Right. Um, this is a pantheon that we're dealing with now, and I, who knows? I, uh, I, I, I'm they, looking forward they, to it. What if they do a Judge Dredd, uh, you know, and uh, and do just one scene? Like one little action set piece for the entire movie. So you got all the and and you know like it's all these uh, gods and history and all that sort of stuff. But they're just doing this one action scene the entire movie. I mean, I guess. I mean, <laughs> I look mean for that. or or maybe they'll all get in their vans. Yep. And drive through the American uh, wastelands, let's just call it, um, having to figure out where they belong and if they belong anywhere and if they want to belong anywhere. I mean, maybe maybe the plight of the Eternals is quite similar to the plight of Fern. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I maybe can, I we haven't seen that. the film. We don't know. <laughs> we don't know. Uh, Matt, it's been. Uh, when was the last Marvel movie you saw? Although you are watching WandaVision, I'm guessing. Yeah, oh yeah, WandaVision is a, a goddamn delight. Okay, I haven't uh, seen WandaVision yet. You the... you should. Are you waiting for it to be done? Are no, you? No, I just haven't. Uh, like I haven't. I, I'm so non-committal about anything that's not a movie at this point because Fair. because anything that requires long-term engagement is uh, is beyond my my mental capacity. I will say this: I am very thankful for the podcast and for all of you listening who can email us at onlymoviepodcast at gmail for letting us uh, continue on this little endeavor, or, or or at least indulging us, not letting us. We, we're adults; we can do what we want. But the fact that you listen does make it nice because it gives me almost like really fun homework, right? right. Yeah. Like I I know I need to watch a film a week, and on that note. I I feel like that structure is kind of more important to me over the last year than it ever was before. Yeah. Um. So it's a it's an enjoyable structure. I've found Shahir that outside of films, outside of the films we do for this podcast, I've had a hard time committing to any long form narrative content at all that is not Wandavision. Yeah. Or Critical Role. Okay. Uh, that's it. And like good shows have popped up all over the place. Yeah. People have told me to watch things and I'm like, I cannot find the drive. Yeah. Yeah. It's not, it's not that the, I don't believe those shows are good. Like I watched Chernobyl earlier this year and yep. I was like, it just took me forever to wind up to, to the process of starting Chernobyl. But once yeah. I started, I was like, 
this is great. I'm going to watch this whole thing in a couple of days. Um, but it's the, it's the mental energy required at the end of a day sitting in, you know, I, I actually lamented this to Shivali last night, by the way, we will talk about nomad land in a minute, One but, day. <laughs> but I lamented to Shivali last night, which was that I've spent my entire day watching, you know, doing stuff on screens and the only things I can do now after work are generally on screens or reading a book. Mm-hmm. And I don't, my eyes are just exhausted and I don't want to do either of those things anymore. Start 3D printing, man. Start making <laughs> minis for your Dungeons and Dragons campaign. <laughs> but that requires looking at a screen. Not really. Really? You got to look I at mean, a screen to figure out how to print something. I mean, well, I, the painting side of it, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the, that, like, the, the setup for the print is like, you know, 15 minutes on a screen and then you just let it go. And it's just a little vat uh, <laughs> dipping in and making little people. Um, I, yeah, I, I have so much. Uh, <laughs> So much useless outside of a tabletop RPG plastic in my house at this point. I don't know what I'm going to do when I move. Um, <laughs> well, anyway, the, Sp- again, the, all of this is for you, dear listener, and we appreciate it when you email us in at onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com or hit us up on Twitter at onlymoviepod, as did listener Lay, who wrote us in about our review of Baccarat, which was just a couple of weeks ago. Mm. Uh, and I thought this was a great email. It's a little bit long, but I want to read the as much of this as I can out. Do it. Uh, you won't. <laughs> uh, Lay writes in, I love the podcast. It feels like a type of discussion the two halves of my brain would have, i.e., <laughs> I love Spotlight, but I also bought tickets to the premiere of Infinity War two months in advance. All right, I'll take it. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I never wrote to you before, but since I'm Brazilian, I thought this would be a great opportunity to get in touch with you to give you input from a local perspective. Nice. Bacarao had a great cultural impact in Brazil because although the story takes place in a dystopian future, it is very it is a very accurate description of the current political situation in the country. The way the people of Bacarao handle the situation is almost cathartic for most of us, an anarchistic re- revolution by the people against politicians that only think about themselves. There are, in fact, a lot of nuances that I think only Brazilians would get. So it was interesting to listen to your perspectives on the movie. For instance, the lo- the role of the local couple who hunts the people in Baccarat, minor spoiler, with the American hunters. There is indeed a deep cultural gap between the south and southeast, uh, uh, the region of Sao Paulo and, Re- and Rio, and the okay. north and northeast of Brazil, where Baccarat is supposedly located. Uh, another point I'd like to talk about, although the script is that although the script was written before Bolsonaro's election, the political context during that time was just as turbulent. And this is, I love this sentence here. Not my president, Bolsonaro, had basically dismantled Brazilian <laughs> cinema industry, not only defunding important projects, but also acting against the preservation and promotion of our culture. So to have Baccarat in the main list in the best films of 2020 is the perfect slap in the face of this tyrannical government and a great reminder of how much we can achieve by looking at our own values and traditions, often considered less important than what comes to us from the U.S. Uh, I've very much enjoyed your thoughts on the movie, and I'm happy it got you interested in Brazilian history. It is a rich and diverse culture that is absolutely worth the research. Dang. Thank you, Lay. Lay, that is that is one of the most succinct and like I don't know, just like I I, I don't want to say I, just moving. I don't know what it is like. The fact I'm hyper interested in in a how you found us. But also uh, thankful that you you took the time to write in this time. Thank you so much. Please please write in again. Yeah, I know. I, I will. I will say, City of God is probably one of my touch points for Brazilian cinema. Um, so thinking about Brazilian cinema outside of that context um, was a is a a great introduction. And like, if we ever got into the situation where we were spawning off other podcasts, I definitely say uh, cinema of other country, uh, cinema of other nations would be uh, like a, a great monthly edition. Let's yeah. start that Patreon one day. Hey, one day when we and we're gonna we're gonna count on 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 all of you to <laughs> to throw one dollar a month at us or something at some point, but it will not be this day. No, but um, I really what I really want is that. Well, okay, this only makes sense in New Zealand. New Zealand. Uh, <laughs> oh, when has that stopped you? <laughs> a dollar. They don't have dollar notes in New Zealand. They have dollar coins and two dollar coins. Sure. And I would just want people to throw them at us. But that doesn't work because they'd be throwing it at the screen. We, we need digital. No, money. no. I want them to come to our, pl- our places of residence, and I want them to throw them at us, uh, a la Romeo and Juliet, uh, standing uh, wow. upon a okay. balcony, this uh, is having an, rocks an, thrown upon them. Uh, an odd, weird <laughs> kink, but I'm into it. Yeah, I'm, I'm down. I'm, I am willing. Uh, my body is ready. Uh, I was um, actually speaking to someone else. I, I, I jump rope on my balcony, by the way, and my jump rope <laughs> is a weighted jump rope, and it makes such a loud noise when I jump rope. And the thing about this weighted jump, jump rope is when it hits you, it like it's like a whip. Yeah. And so I'm on my balcony pretty sure that everyone thinks I have the, the you know a very public uh, BDSM fetish. 
Or maybe they just think you're reenacting the Michelle Pfeiffer scene that's been going around social media lately of her (laughs) in Batman Returns kicking four mannequins' asses in one goddamn take with a whip and then jump roping away. I just Uh, shudder to think how long it took to get her into that costume. Oh, (laughs) an insane amount of time. I need to rewatch that movie. Batman Returns is so good. It is. It's Um, it's excellent. I actually, uh, I watched... uh, uh, the Dark Knight Rises again recently. I'm not sure why. I just kind of huh. I, I another actually, Catwoman. I I watched a, a bunch of Nolan movies recently, and I will. My hot take is this: <laughs> I like Dark Knight Rises more than I like Inception. Really? Yeah, like a lot more. We might have to have a singular <laughs> podcast just on that. <laughs> I don't want to go in deeper. I I do, but not. I don't want to no. take more time. We, we away were from taking Nomad time Land. away from Nomad Land. I am hyper interested. We're going to offline about that. <laughs> yeah. Um, like a lot, lot more. That's so weird. <laughs> that's so weird. Uh, please um, write us in with your Nolan rankings and all the things you think that we do that are super weird, which is pretty much everything, yeah. uh, including all our random asides. Uh, hit us up at onlymoviepodcast at gmail or uh, on Twitter at OnlyMoviePod. Now, if we were stripped away, uh, 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 either by choice or by circumstance, of all of our oddities, our sides, our possessions, our roofs, mm. uh, we might find ourselves in similar situations to uh, Fern and the Eternals in this film, <laughs> Nomadland. I'd love to see the Eternals packed into the back of Fern's. Uh, oh, Fern's, my gosh. Uh, this movie, man. I... I it's funny. I don't know if our tangent portion uh, of the podcast, or the plangent, as I call it, uh, was longer than usual because, and it's not because like we don't have things to say about this movie. It's I think maybe subconsciously, it's because this movie is capital rough um, <laughs> emotionally. I should say not not bad as in a cinematic experience that you will not enjoy. I think you. You, you will you will you will be nourished by this movie. That is what I will say. Uh, However, I'm getting um, a flavor of uh, of your feelings about it already. Can you tell us like, what it's about? It's hard. It's a hard <laughs> film. But IMDb, the masters, the masters of turning complicated things into very concise little chunks, or at least taking the people that films hire to do that and writing it on their website, says this about Nomadland. After losing everything in the Great Recession, a woman embarks on a journey through the American West, living as a van-dwelling modern-day nomad. Correct. Uh, does that got the word land in it? Because if, if they just got the word land in, they would have got the title I know. into the synopsis. Such an easy So, get. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's accurate. That is an accurate <laughs> portrayal uh, of what happens in the movie Sans Eternals. <laughs> now it's just canon. Now yeah. it's just canon, and it's not my fault. As mentioned um, previously, this is probably one of the front runners for the Oscars this year. It's certainly it's up for a Golden Globe Awards, won several uh, awards at Toronto uh, and Telluride, I believe. Um, as mentioned, Chloe Zhao has uh, taken the spotlight as uh, one of the premier uh, new filmmakers of uh, of American cinema, um, which is uh, all the more remarkable because uh, she is. Uh, uh, originally from Beijing and is also only 38 years old, so very young, uh, with uh, three films under her belt already. Um, three films of uh, of note and a Marvel movie. I mean, that seems like a that seems like a, a thing, you know, like three move three movies in a Marvel picture is like you're set up for life at that point. Um, but we will definitely be hearing the name Chloe Zhao uh, for a long period to come uh, in the next um, decade, probably. Um, and and again, as mentioned, uh, a front runner for the Oscars. With that kind of preamble in mind, mm-hmm. um, that kind of waiting to it, um, Matt, how did you feel about it? I mean, I uh, I, I went in, I, I watched it with uh, with Jamie and her roommate Elise, and uh, I was like, y'all ready to be sad? <laughs> and they're like, what? No, you don't know that. I'm like, well, no, I don't know that, but like, I, I, I hadn't even seen the trailer. Why, I, why, I why did you think images. that? Because this movie, every small piece of thing that I had seen about it just just seeped sadness. <laughs> <laughs> For lack of a better term. Look, the, even even in the beginning of this movie, the gut punch and the weird the weird concept of a town disappearing, like it's just in the text in the beginning of this film. And it's something that I don't think about often. I don't know if you do, Shahir, or listeners at home, but like, 
I never think of a town ceasing to exist, and that is my privilege growing up where I did, uh, yeah. the color of my skin, the the country of origin, etc. Um, is the country of origin a, a privilege uh, according to this film? No, <laughs> I was just saying in general for yeah. me. Um, the, but 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 the truth of the matter is, and we're seeing this all over with the atrocities and the tragedies that are happening on the globe and even in this country, that they, these these things happen. Towns are not forever; otherwise, there'd never be new new towns, or or we'd still have all the old towns, etc. Like when a business dies in the United States uh, in many places, especially in, and that is the one place that a whole town has congregated to work. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is uh, a loss on a scale uh, hitherto untold uh, that, that I have ever experienced. So when when the movie opened like that and you instantly get sort of into it, uh, and then we can talk a little bit about some of the other socially conscious or unconscious things that the film does, uh, it just set me up right at the beginning uh, to feel the feels. And the thing I liked about this movie... Otherwise, I mean, first of all, it's gorgeous. It makes sadness look good. Um, <laughs> I think they should have that on the. That should be the. <laughs> it pull makes quote. sadness looks good. Yeah, uh, this this film makes that should sadness be your tag quote. Good. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, and the score is phenomenal as well, um, and and moving and getting you in all the right directions. But um, the thing I re- that I really gravitated towards, and I'm finding maybe this is pandemic life talking. I really love films that don't have a villain. Like, there's no, like, hyper antagonist here. Like, mm. the, the this is the story of Fern, played by uh, Francis McDormand, um, th- that is sort of battle, not even battling, just sort of, like, living her life the way she wants to, or even, you can debate, the way she feels she has to, um, in the wake of an incredible loss. And then when I dug deeper into sort of how this movie was made, I didn't quite realize that a lot of the people in this film were – this was shot very uh, – for lack of a better term, very Umberto D um, in the sense of shooting real people in roles that they right. – like they're characters, but they're not characters, but they are characters. Like Fern was the only – one of the only non-real people other than David, I think – like a, an actor, right? right? They was the only actor because they were like actual uh, nomadic people who mm-hmm. live these lives going through with it. Mm-hmm. And um, <clears throat> that that was very moving to me. There was also uh, the tinge of Amazon, which we <laughs> the, can talk the about. Tinge? The tinge of Amazon. <laughs> um, what is the tinge of Amazon? The, the, the way in which Amazon is shown here as both monolith and kind of like uncaring savior mm-hmm. um which we can talk about the 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 politics behind that and the choices etc um but um yeah i don't know overall this was a film that i thought about long after i watched it i've been thinking about it all day um and again it's not like i i, I want everyone to see it i believe but it's also something that i have to sort of preface with like and i think that's why my tagline is so good it makes sadness look good <laughs> um, and I, hopefully I can sell some people on that. What about you? Um, I don't know about you, man, but, um, I don't think I've been this terrified in a movie for a long time. Mm. Um, the, the actual fear that this movie put in me of the prospects of what the future might hold for a middle-class average American, um, was so palpable that I think the next day, my wife and I spent most of the morning talking about our retirement savings and what our future yep. plans were and, and you know, like how our IRA is doing right now. Um, Should and- be doing great. <laughs> well, she's doing, I mean, you know, she's going to be fine. It's me. That no, no, no. We- I, I meant your IRA. I know, I know your wife's going to be fine. <laughs> yeah. I meant, I meant that your IRA should be doing okay right now. <laughs> you know, uh, without getting into it too far. But that's the- No, that's- I want to know your exact financial history. <laughs> That's that. I mean, the, the so 
I went on a tear after this and started reading about the people in 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 Nomadland, which is uh, based on a Jiska Bruda uh, novel. And so the interesting thing is, is that um, a lot of the people that appear in Jiska's novel um, are the people that appear in this book, mm. in this film. So Linda May, that, yes. who I think is a central character in the book, is um, one of Fern's uh, close friends and uh, swanky and swanky. Yeah, and um, so so these are people who've actually experienced uh, what they're describing here. And, and I found stories that they'd written about their li- how their life savings essentially dissipated after two thousand and eight uh, in the financial crash, and they found and people. You know, retirees who found themselves uh, in the sort of situation where they believed that they had set up everything correctly for, you know, for the remainder of their lives, you know, financially, for, suddenly found that they had to get employment, had to find uh, a, a new way of life in order to survive. And that's, um, I think what's terrifying about that is that is uniquely American, um, mm. which is that. Uh, many other countries have specifically have a social safety net for this very reason. Um, and, you know, America does have social security, but as Linda May describes in this film, uh, it was, it's not enough to pay the bills. Um, and Jessica Bruder, who writes, uh, who wrote the book, uh, wrote this in an article about uh, the nomadic lifestyle was that the most widely accepted measure for calculating income equality is a century old formula called the Gini coefficient. What it reveals is startling. Today, the United States has the most unequal society of all developed nations. America's level of inequality is comparable to Russia, China, uh, Argentina, and the war-torn Democratic Republic of the Congo. Um, and and I guess what that and the film highlighted is that none of us are beyond living, ha- having to make the choices that these characters have to make. 100%, um, yeah. Through, through no fault of their own, through turns of circumstance, this is the life we could all be living uh, at some point. And um, uh, Bruder's accounts of the camper towns, the, uh, the Amazon uh, temporary service workers, um, certainly points to a future, um, future gig economy that is driven by transient labor. And I think, you know, mm-hmm. there's all the problems that come with that, which we will talk about because inevitably, as this film has uh, emerged as a frontrunner in the Oscars, it has also um, uh, spawned uh, a somewhat interesting uh, backlash, uh, or, uh, you know, an interesting conversation around what the film misses about the, uh, the the levels of inequality. Now, I think, you know, that's for a discussion unto itself, the, the backlash of, of, of itself. Regardless, um, I I caught up with Chloe Zhao's uh, previous film, The Writer, before this. I didn't see her um, her her debut film, uh, Songs My Brothers Taught Me, uh, yet, but I, I most certainly will because I'm enamored with her as a filmmaker. Um, and I, you know, I, I'm so curious as to what her version of Eternals looks like um, because... <laughs> <laughs> the films, you know, the between the writer and Nomadland, there is such a specific vision of the type of filmmaker that she is that the only uh, analogy I can think of is like, what if Terrence Malick made a Marvel movie? Um, and I'm very curious as to what that actually means. Sure. Um, but but n- this is all to say uh, she has a particular eye for the American landscape and mm. and the way in which it permutates within characters the way in which it informs characters hopes and ambitions there is a single shot in the writer by the way that is probably the mo- one of the most singularly gorgeous pieces of film i've ever seen um and i was like i why isn't every um I- i'm sure any commercial would have wanted to have shot a shot this beautiful to sell whatever product they wanted. Um, Cause it's, you know, it's a shot of a, a, of a horse rider in the American West. I was like, this is one of the most enigmatic, beautiful pieces of, of cinema I've ever right. seen. Um, and, and, and it is no less impressive that nomad land not only tells this um, sort of, um, meander, you know, beautifully meandering story of a woman trying to find herself within the, 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 the sort of new confines of, of, of the American economy, but also, um, like movies like, uh, leave no trace, uh, which we saw earlier, um, yep. last a couple of years ago also tell like the, the sort of the, the psychological depth of what happens to people who are left to wander the wilderness of, uh, of America. And in this case, of American capitalism, um, 
it's a stunning it's a stunning film it is a it is an absolutely tremendous uh piece of filmmaking and an absolutely tremendous film um uh it, it, it i think to me the 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 depth of the narrative is feels like there is more to be mined in terms of where this character can go and what and what stories this character can tell but but i think the sensitivity with which zhao presents this character and and also the way in which she uses real life stories you know for this character to navigate you know francis mcdormand's uh friend to navigate is is truly remarkable i i like like you know not to not to put a fine point on it but uh you know years ago i pitched doing a music video sort of like this where we would travel on amtrak trains for like uh, two weeks and find stories on it and sort of make a music video out of these stories we found of people traveling on Amtrak trains. And I, we, you know, everyone sort of liked the idea, but we all kind of agreed, man, we just don't know how we're going to do this or pull this off or make this work or, you know, what have you. And Zhao just, it, between this, the writer and songs my brother taught me, um, demonstrates that this is something that she has kind of either cornered the market on or has a, you know, like a specialist niche technique in, in terms of getting people to tell real stories in a way that makes them feel part of a, of a narrative. And yeah. that's pretty amazing. Side note, I'm so glad you didn't do that Amtrak thing because that seems like a fate worse than death riding an Amtrak train for 2 weeks. Oh, I've done uh, it. I've uh I when we came to America as a students, we uh we traveled uh uh on Amtrak from uh from California to DC and back again across how, three can weeks. Can I so so I've heard cuz I I've tried to plan this sort of trip myself and then, yeah. then after looking it at was the lines. amazing by the way. Is it? Yeah, it was incredible. Uh, I've heard once you get past, like once you get into the Midwest, like there, the and maybe it's just in the I don't know what year you did that, but currently, like apparently, like service just sort of breaks down. I'm sure, I'm sure there's problems with it. We did it as students. Um, uh, I mean, I'll say this: my luggage got stolen um, near the end of it, but but that doesn't uh, impact. That's not necessarily <laughs> the train's fault. No, and it and, yeah. and it was like I don't even I I really think about that. I think about just sitting in the uh, observation cart and and watching the sun go down uh as we crossed you know the midlands and it was like please, yeah and, and please don't also get me wrong. the amazing I think was talking to people on the train it was incredible trains are dope and i miss actually the experience of being on them and talking with actual strangers and single serving friends uh, yeah. as tyler durton would say um but uh I think I think Europe kind of spoiled me. Like the, oh, yeah, they yeah. got trains on lock out oh, there. Oh yeah, Europe and Japan, uh, they know what they're doing on the rails. Oh. <laughs> but uh. <laughs> um, I, I mean, I hope we can do that music video one day for for another project at this point. But um, um, I, I actually, I, at this point, I would go. No, we we we'd only have Nomadland in the back of our head or the writer in the back of our head right. when we did it. Regardless, I think this is an astonishing piece of work uh, and create. You know, like everything that I have that are somewhat tepid, um, tepid complaints about the film are, are actually are not very much about the film and more about the, the, the capacity the film has for explore for, for touching on issues that we could discuss. I think that's, mm. what's great about it as well as the film kind of feels like a vessel that we can open a discussion on in terms of, uh, America, filmmaking, uh, the economy, capitalism. Um, and, and I, you know, like my brain kind of like jumps to a lot of different things. Like, so, um, right. for example, uh, one of my rewatches during the pandemic was Preston Serge's film Sullivan's Travel, uh, which is about a filmmaker who, uh, wants to make this sort of like morose film called Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Um, about like, you know, the misery of people and that sort of thing and, and the real trials and tribulations of the, of the common man. And then he gets stuck in this sort of world run journey and eventually realizes that comedies are what people actually want. And mm -hmm. this is a film where I think 
there's this sense that this is the film of the common man and it's difficult and challenging, but it's also beautiful and it is delightful. And there are moments in it that are actually comedic and funny and joyful. Like the, the moment when Swanky's video appears and she holds up a seashell of the, the swallows that I think she had seen. Oh, not the, the, the eggshell. The, the eggshells. The yeah. 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 Uh, that, I was like, that is just a moment of pure joy. And it's mm-hmm. literally just uh fern watching it on a videotape, you know, like yeah. watching it on her phone. Um, so there's a lot to unpack here, um, and I'm glad we actually got to talk about this movie, and, and I'm glad that we're, we're, we're going to have a more detailed conversation about it. Um, but it is an extraordinary piece of filmmaking, and, you know, uh, if it wins all the Oscars, then, you know, like, whatever anybody thinks about that, I think this is a movie that stands up to the scrutiny of what winning a Best Picture can do to a movie. Um, you know, there have been years where films like Green Book... Um, you know, kind of falls <laughs> right. apart once it wins Best Picture. I think this is a movie that, uh, whatever you think of it, will stand up to the scrutiny of winning Best Picture if it happens that it does. Yeah, the the points you made about how this is this movie has a lot of opportunities to focus in via its lens on various issues, various real world issues outside of, you know, the particular story that they're telling about Fern and about the experience of 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 uh, a fictional version of the people that choose or have to live this way. Um, one of the one of the things, you know, kind of going back a little bit to my no villains thing, like this, you're right. This was a terrifying sort of film <laughs> in various ways because, you know, I, maybe it's media that has sort of trained us into thinking like, oh, there's going to be a bad thing or a bad person. But nope, turns out it's just kind of the whole thing is bad mm. and there's moments of peace or joy in it. Yeah. Um, but never relief, if that makes sense. I would describe um, it as moments of quiet dignity. In amongst yes. like terrible, <laughs> terrible indignities. Um, but like the, one of the most interesting things to me, which got me sort of thinking about Fern's journey a little bit more than just sort of like a person that is 1000% stuck because, you know, they exist. She runs into them. Um, she has a bunch of safety nets she could grab and chooses not to, mm. yeah. um, which is obviously a, a, a far more interesting uh you know character plot line i i think and by the end of it i think i understood why yeah um which we won't we won't i don't even think no, we, we even can need spoil to spoil it at this point I mean, yeah. we can yeah. but like there was there was the talks of um when whenever uh she opened up uh you finally learn about her husband dying in the in the town uh she sort of stayed in it because he really loved it and then when the town died uh she didn't know what to do so she just packed up her things put you know put whatever she could in the storage unit and then yeah drove off in the van and um there was a comment uh, you know near the middle of the movie when she's describing where she used to live i think it might have been to her sister i don't yeah. quite remember when she goes to thanksgiving um that uh, about the backyard of the company-owned house that yeah. they lived in and how it was on the edge of town and that meant that there was nothing stopping them. There was nothing gating them in. I forget the exact sort of uh, yeah. uh, line. And then by the end of the film, she returns and visits the dead town. And uh, her dead house. And her dead house and her dead office and her <laughs> dead everything. And she walks out the back door and through the gate sort of the same way that she... Um, uh, described sort of like that that being sort of I, that moment to me felt like uh, that was her sort of letting go and now whether or not she's going to continue living the, the nomad land life or not it felt a little less like she would be haunted while doing so granted difficulties would surely come if she was going to stick with it and and yeah. you know as this movie shows and as as uh, as I think Swanky or Linda I don't remember who even says to her uh, like when her tire goes down, she's like, "You, you can't, you can't have this happen. Like you are alone out here. Like yeah. you, like got to have a spare." When, when the when the when the group of them is together for their little sort of um uh you know the camper uh, van uh, yeah camper Burning meeting. Man and the, yeah. <laughs> and the <laughs> elderly Burning, Burning Man, man. <laughs> yeah um there it's 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 it seems almost like um. Like uh, the the equivalent of um, like a traveling uh, show or something like off hours yeah. where like what are the, the, what's the song they sing? The car- they sing the caravan song, right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
So like, but then they all do pack up and leave. Yeah. Um, and to to again probably all go look for work because again she Fern does run into these people at other places where she works at like that campground. Uh, she runs into David again at uh, a food joint. Yeah. Um, wall drugs, right? I think it was called wall drugs. Is that a real thing? I'm guessing. I'm it guessing is. it is because they uh, also I'd... filmed they filmed at Amazon during this film. So I'm like, why would they just make up something? Make up wall drugs? <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, that's it's just a weird name, yeah. right? Uh, write us in onlymoviepodcast@gmail.com. Is wall drugs real? Um, everyone's gonna <laughs> be like, yeah. Have drugs? you ever been past <laughs> North Carolina? Yeah. Um, so. <clears throat> Uh, I don't know the the way that this movie throws her lifelines constantly, and she constantly says no. Mm. Um, made a you start to question it, and then b you sort of start to understand because this is a person who I I feel and 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 I, I mean again I don't know because I don't know the specifics of the financial situation of that town. And we're just going off of generalities in the story. Mm-hmm. But it, it, this lifestyle, not not the financial side of it, she's hit hard, but it seems like she has quite a bit of skills. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she's co- sort of chosen this because she waited a long time in the town after her husband died and then the town died. Uh, she has uh, a neighbors that she runs into at a sporting goods store um, that that offer her help. She yeah. has her sister. She has David and that and his family that he reconnects with. He kind of comes back from the nomad life um, uh, to be more around his grandchild, who he never really knew his son well uh, because he chose or or got hit and had to choose what to do with his life and chose to be on the move. So there are constantly lifelines thrown to her, and she she says no to each and every one and then the end of the movie happens that I described and it doesn't give you a a wrap up by any means of the imagination but you you kind of feel like some of the emotional weight and none none of the you know actual physical monetary weight um <laughs> is gone but the emotional weight might be lifted a little bit because she's kind of seemingly come to terms with the past that brought her to her present Right. Um, yeah. It, it, there's a sense that all of these characters are dealing with some kind of trauma. Yeah. Uh, and and David Strathane's character, by the way, and it, love seeing David Strathane in this film. Uh, um, a far cry from obviously. Um, I actually one of the, my rewatches over the pandemic was uh, the uh, the Sidney Pollock film The Firm with Tom Cruise, mm-hmm. oh, uh, wow. where he plays like the uh, the Southern gentleman brother of Tom Cruise, uh, who's who's and he's just David Strathairn is one of those guys that was just born to be in movies. You know, like there's mm-hmm. this yeah, at his most handsome, like you know something like Good Night and Good Luck. He's just like one of the most beautiful people you can put in front of a camera. And then now as a sort of uh, you know, slightly older with this aged face. He's just like wonderful to look at still. He's still like wonderfully engaging. So I just, yeah. I, I, I love seeing him uh, on screen. And I think, you know, again, this film kind of like, I think the movie, the, the, the some of the backlash, I, I call it backlash. I, I don't really think it is. I think it's, I think what it is, is the movie is coming under greater scrutiny had it not become an Oscar front runner. Um, and so um, I don't think it's backlash per se, but as much as people are engaging with what the film is about and what the surrounding issues around the film kind of point to. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. Uh, the, the thing that I sort of, uh, see, so again, actually, uh, Roxana, uh, guest on the show. Roxana um, Hadidi? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, she tweeted when, before I'd seen the film. Uh, a, uh, oh, read the Vulture and the New Yorker articles uh, about Nomadland. And then uh, there was a couple things down the line of like, you know, sort of kind of I think a little bit what we're saying, like it does pose a lot of questions and you can like the movie and have problems with the movie. Like there's, I don't know, it's a good thread. Yeah. Um, please go follow her if you are not already. Um, but then after the film, I, oh, I text, I'm like, do I watch it? Do I read these before or after? And she's like, oh, after. And I was like, okay. After. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe there was why would you, a why would you read thing. Beforehand? I don't know. I was <laughs> curious and I was referenced by a person that I respect. So the, the, I went back and read them and a lot of it is sort of at the, 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 the Amazon angle of it all. Right. Yeah, I think the, the Vulture article by um, Walter Chin is called uh, What uh, Nomadland Misses About the Gig Economy. Yeah. And 
Uh, well, so I apologize. Wilfred Chan. I apologize. Ah, uh, yeah. Uh, and, and and it is all true. Like what they say is true. Um, but also, this wasn't. I, I, this is a weird thing to say, but like this, this didn't feel to me like a movie about working at Amazon. Like, yeah. the, uh, the, granted, it's a different vibe than the park or the or the wall drugs or whatever the heck the other places that she worked were right yeah. but like that place is still treated with the same reverence and the way the same way she acts there is the same way she acts everywhere else so like it's just showing another traveling thing amazon right now during the holidays employs probably more people than any other con- company in the united states like uh yeah and and of course the I think what people are getting at and Wilfred Chan is getting at and maybe some of the criticisms is getting at is that Amazon weighs looms large across the American economy uh being one of the largest uh retailers on the planet and it's and it's uh its wingspan affects not only other retailers but also the way in which our economy actually functions. Um, sure. So, so, and, yeah. it, what I'm saying is that's all true. Yeah. And the the movie is not weirdly enough like this is the thing. The movie is not interested in that really. Yeah. Like the movie. In fact, I didn't particularly like. And I, I I've heard the I've heard the tale. Uh, if I I believe uh, Francis McDormand was actually the one who got permission to film at Amazon. I know it's a real missed opportunity for this not to appear on Amazon Prime, right? I know, right? <laughs> Or but is like, it? Or is yeah, it? Maybe uh, yeah. it's a very uh-huh. uh, uh, pronounced thing not to appear on Amazon. I mean, Prime. I'm shocked that they let them do it, but mm. but there is a line in the film which I'm not sure if it was uh, mandated or not. It kind of it was the only line that felt a little bit weird to me in the movie when someone asks her, "Oh, oh, you're still at Amazon?" and and she's like, "Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Great. Uh, how, oh, you like it?" and she just goes, "Good money." Yeah. And and it's funny. It's one of those lines that sort of rides the line of yes, that is one hundred percent something true that the character would say, but also feels a little bit weird coming out of their mouth. Yeah. Um. And that moment to me, I I could not help after seeing. And again, it it's funny. The Amazon stuff is filmed like a monolith, right? Like it's filmed not in I the outside, especially not in a flattering way. Yeah. Like it looks like a uh, evil overlord sort of angle that they're giving this thing in like a misty darkness. With that smile logo, or or Bezos's penis, or what? I don't know what, what? it's supposed to be. But <laughs> what? the the oh, you've seen the memes. I have um, not seen that meme. But oh uh, well, you, you yeah. buckle up. Um, so so the the fact that they do it and the fact they have that little line like that sort of felt weird to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, not that I think that Amazon is like this is gonna make people want to work here. Like, but. It's almost like it's. I mean, there's two possibilities, right? Like one, their marketing department just might might really love Francis McDormand and thought like, oh, cool, name recognition, great, and that's kind of what they did. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're also a little too big to be affected by that. And the film doesn't actually sink its teeth into what it means for these for Amazon to maybe not offer these people, you know, health insurance or medical things or anything like that. But they'll pay for their parking space, <laughs> like. Maybe they're so maybe Amazon is so far gone that they see that as like, look at the good we're doing. Mm-hmm. Like and that's why they allowed it. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I mean, it, does it, again, did it make did it make you wonder about the myriad of packages that has become the kind of main um foot traffic of the economy since the pandemic began? Oh, sure. Like, yeah. Like like I just think about the fact that that Amazon is the economy now. Right. Like that is that is that is what is that is using our roads. That is what uh, basically, you know, since everything else is shut down, Amazon and companies like Amazon are pretty much the entirety or at least a large portion of what the economy has become. Right. Yeah. And and this is the people behind that. Yeah. And I, I hope this is a side tangential thing. I'm hoping that, you know, if and when we come back from this, uh, I'm hoping that like retail gets a shot on the arm. I'm not, I'm not, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not, I'm not hopeful about that. I'm not role. hopeful, but <laughs> I, 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 I don't believe it, but I hope it kind of, because like I do like before the pandemic, weirdly enough, I didn't miss going to a store. Jeez. I don't want to deal with people. Blah, 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 <laughs> blah, blah. Uh, but now like, I want nothing more than to like go to an have Amazon that ex- store. <laughs> have that. No. Yeah. That, which is so weird. Like why? Yeah. Um, I don't know. 
I uh, I mean, let, let me let me read you out uh, from Wilfred Chan's article uh, something that you know, like his point. I, I I and this is my point here is that I I believe that when all is said and done, if this film wins Best Picture. You know, I, I, the the sort of the surrounding context about what winning best picture means, regardless of whether it's the best film or not. I don't. I, I, we've had this conversation many times over. I think there's an interesting thing that happens to a movie when it becomes cemented as the best picture or wins significant awards at the Oscars, which is that the awards itself becomes a focal point for how to discuss that movie. And a film like Green Book ultimately fell apart under the scrutiny of winning best picture. That was a movie that wasn't designed to win Best Picture, and when it did, um, suddenly became, uh, you know, exposed everything about it that didn't work. I will say it was not designed well <laughs> to win Best Picture, I, but I do think I do think it was designed for I, that. I think I, when I say designed, I guess what I mean is... Crafted. It was not... <laughs> willed into existence no 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 not even it doesn't have to do with that i think it's a it's and, and this is my point about nomadland is it's a movie whose craftsmanship and um artistic merit doesn't stand up to the scrutiny of the spotlight that winning best picture does to a film right 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 right, you know right. I mean? I, but I, but I, it's funny and i would even argue that green book and I, we've talked about this and we've yeah. disagreed on this and we don't have to go down this line but yeah. i would think that a film like green book might have been designed from the ground up with best picture uh sparkles in their eyes or little play like this is a surely going to be a best picture because of topic matter and whatever and da da da, da. That whereas may be, that may be the case but what what we've what we've established is that in the face of history uh, a film like Green Book does not stand I know. up to that's, the scrutiny. That's my point. I think more often than not, when you sort of try for that, it's a little bit on purpose, perhaps. Uh, <laughs> I, I actually don't when, think that that's the issue. I think when held up to a microscope. No, I'm saying more often than not, I, I feel like those are the things that don't hold up to scrutiny because there's an intrinsic, not not distruth. I don't know what the word is. There's just something that isn't quite clicking. Whereas a film like Nomadland. Yeah. This film was not designed to win Best Picture. And if it like, does... It was designed to give the viewer a visceral experience that just so happens to move it in... Like, enough people have had that experience that it moves it into that category. Like, And, and I, think, I think the thing is, is that this movie will stand up to that scrutiny. At least I certainly hope it will. Because the foundation's good. Yeah, the foundation is good. And I think the issues surrounding where this movie doesn't work for some people, I think, as you've kind of pointed out, isn't the lens with which to watch this movie necessarily. Um, it's, you can... I mean, it isn't, it isn't, but I feel like this film is strong enough to withstand that criticism. Yeah. Like, like Green Book, not strong enough mm. to withstand the criticism. Yeah. <laughs> this film... You, I mean, this film is like, uh, you know, Vanguard Mark Seven. Uh, it's like it's going to weather the fucking storm because because its bones are so good. Like, uh, I don't know. I, I I think I think that the craft in which th that is portrayed by uh, Chloe Zhao and and the entire cast and crew of this movie is the thing that will let it live up to that scrutiny should it win best picture should it win um, yeah i mean it might not it might be it might be an early front runner that uh, eventually fades to the back of the pack or something like that who knows um personally uh is minari up for best picture as well uh i don't believe i, I believe no, well there's the best picture oh, we don't know hasn't yet. been hasn't been announced at this point uh but it feels like the minari nomadland will be in the conversation somewhere minari i found didn't haunt me as much, but I thought about it more. Hmm. Um, which there's there's something to be said about personal, uh, you know. Yeah. At a certain point in these films, in Nomadland, you start thinking about yourself a lot during them. Sometimes at at the at the t taking away from thinking about what's going on in the plot because it is so effective in what it's trying to do. Yeah. Right. Like. And there's a lot of slow contemplative moments that lets you seep into your own mind again and think about your own life in the context of what it is showing. Yeah. Um, uh, in, in many ways, the the Oscar conversation around this is like every Oscar conversation we have, which is that it is it's sort of it, it's it, it, at the same time as being incredibly important because of a film like this. Uh, having the capacity to win an Oscar is an important thing, just as it was for Parasite to win 
uh, last year. Uh, oh, but man, what a delight, uh, right? What a delight that was. See, that's a movie that stands up to the scrutiny every time. Yeah. But I, I actually mentioned that in my office hours today uh, for on the Extra Credits Discord. We were just talking about stuff, and like I was just talking about greatness in cinema, and somehow Parasite obviously came up, and yeah. I was like, Every time I mention that movie, yeah. I'm like, yeah, I got to watch that again. I got to watch that again. It's so good. But 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 in many ways, you know, like, again, the conversation around the Oscar is not what's important about this movie. What's important about it is how it captures the tapestry of America as we know it today. And it weaves together this narrative, which is both um, uh, compelling to watch just as a narrative itself and also terrifying because of what it reveals about what we think America actually is. And, you know, the, 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 uh, at the end of, uh, Wilfred Chan's article, uh, he cites a thing from, uh, Jessica Baruta's book. Uh, and, and he talks about Linda May who's in this film. Uh, mm-hmm. but Linda May offers a blistering take on Amazon with clarity. That's completely omitted from the performance in Zhao's film. She says, I hate this fucking job, uh, calling the company probably the biggest slave owner in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, another camper workforce worker, uh, Patty DePono, confesses to Bruder that while she tells her that she tells her friends not to buy from Amazon. I mean, the rich are getting richer while we're sitting here getting poorer. And we're certainly, if you're watching Senate hearings on the uh, COVID relief package and the fight against the uh, the fifteen dollar uh, minimum wage increase, um, you know, and the arguments against unionizations that are going on at Amazon. Amazon, the, the, the sort of ongoing labor conflict that is happening with an organization like Amazon, um, you see that the problem is really like to, to me, the, the biggest thing that the, the most telling thing about this film is the way in which it depicts a society that is determined that the social safety net is not as important as uh, immediate profits. And mm. that's what happens to these people is that they are um, they are. Um, dropped free from the social safety net and and have to come up with these things and and I think that's horrifying because um you know as someone says in this film um their sailboat was left in the driveway and they didn't get a chance to actually sail it and and that's what this film you know whether you think the film should t- tackle that subject head on or it is within the confines of the world this film set up, which are truthful and honest. Uh, yeah. Even if they they film at Amazon, there is a you can read this film as including implicitly that takedown of Amazon because the very fact that people are choosing this lifestyle um, when some of them choose you know don't really want to or haven't considered it before um, is in some ways an indictment of the way in which the American um, economy works. You know, people will get left behind. I agree with the end of your statement, but not the beginning. I think this film actively chooses not to engage with the Amazon thing that is in the Vulture article. Um, Hmm. I mean, if it wanted to, the, the source material is already there in the book. Linda talks about it like it's not it's not. It's not something they'd have to hunt for. But would they, they would but do you think they would actually shoot film in an Amazon if they didn't want to well, no, I mean, directly and, and refer to people? And this is why I think this is what I think uh I've it, it, at, from a I guess a production management background or sort of like what you're trying to do for what money or what what resources you're using based on time etc. What I think they chose to do and whether or not it's effective or not for the an audience member is neither here nor there because again it's now a talking point about the movie right um they chose to be able to film at amazon to keep it more real but probably had some hands tied based around what they could say about amazon or how they could portray amazon and i'm sure that went (laughs) back and forth a bunch of times so they actively chose to engage with amazon over take down or, or, or try to take Amazon down a peg again because I don't think while Amazon is a piece of this it is not the point uh I I, I don't yeah. I don't think that um I I think they wanted to focus more and they they, they might have been the sort of reasoning why they did that is they just wanted to talk about the entirety of it and they thought that they could sort of skirt around the Amazon thing or do things in um in in sort of more of a cinematic language again whenever you see the logo it is not in a flattering uh style uh but but then on the flip side 
everyone's on the floor having a good time, hanging out, wrapping stuff in bubble wrap, ha- having a great lunch break, talking about Smith's lyrics. Like, uh, so so there's there's some back and forth to this. And again, I think it is a, a valid and avid and and correct criticism of this movie. If if seeing an Amazon logo and the working conditions and having it be a little bit more clean than the experience is does is problematic for you as it was a little bit for me. A hundred percent. There is criticism to be levied here. But I think um, the film uh, but also again, stands up to that scrutiny, right? But like that's def- the th- well, yeah. well, no, here's the thing. I think the, the overall emotional resonance of the film that it provides supersedes that the, the Amazon conversation because the film is not about the Amazon conversation. Right. And um, I, I, I sort of I think I take your point that it's it's not about the Amazon conversation, but I think my point is is that implicitly Amazon is in the conversation and it weighs heavily and it's something that we're gonna talk about because of this film. A hundred percent. I think they, they, they made that calculation. They yeah. knew they couldn't say certain things or do certain things. They could include the Amazon thing, but which just makes by it including real. Amazon, it becomes part of the It fabric. becomes real and they can slide things in. I mean, weirdly enough, they can slide things in through their contract that they had with Amazon. Like, uh, and maybe to be honest, maybe not even slide things in. Cause what are we doing other than saying the word Amazon <laughs> probably 50 times in this podcast? Like the, Amazon's getting their, their due here as well. So I don't I know. I mean, the other film that I, I really did think about and it, it's such an, it's such an older film, but it is a documentary and that's Michael Moore's Roger and me, which is mm-hmm. about, you know, like the, the general motors plant shutting down in Flint um, and, and how it affects the town. And it's kind of like, this is, you know, it, that, that film is um, nigh on 30 or more years. No, it's probably older than 30 years now. Um, but this still feels like the same story. You know, like it is the same exact same story of like what happens to an economy when the largest provider in that economy um, ceases to do so and there is no social safety net to protect people from when that happens. And that's that's it's amazing to me that I think the the sort of the tragedy of Roger and me is still true in this movie. And and then, you know, I think the other side of it is, is that Zhao is deeply interested in the sort of the psychology of maybe it's maybe in some part it is the the American mythic quality. You know, uh, there's a great article by Siddhanta Adlaka um, about the connection between Zhao's vision of the American landscape and Norman Rockwell's paintings, which are so much a part of Americana. Right. And, 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 and I think Zhao herself, you know, between the writer and this, you know, kind of paints portraits of these people who are unable to let go of the dream that the, that the land promised them or the, the dream that, that they were promised in some way uh, or felt that they, they were going to live out. And, and this is, you know, Fern's decision at the end of the film to um, not go and live with David Strathane's character or yeah. not go back to her sister's house, you know, is, is inherently this sort of almost defiant act of this is the road I choose and this is my piece now. Um, because everything has been taken from me, this is what I own, and and I think there's a psychology to that that again we saw in Deborah Granick's film um, Leave No Trace when the father, um, you know, has no it doesn't have the capacity to live within the world that is of normal standards and 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 chooses to make his own life you know even at the you know uh, i won't spoil the end of that film but even at the at the great loss that he has to sort of uh sacrifice at the end of that movie um and i think you know all of that is the thing that makes all of that work in this film that doesn't necessarily work in in other films that we've discussed on this podcast on this episode um is the and this is going to be the 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 dumb way to say it, but it's uh, Stephen Colbert's version of it. The truthiness of it all, you know, sure. the the truthiness of this is so strong that that those themes can be read into this painting. You know, like the, this film operates on that sort of level of truthiness, where because they these are the real people telling their real stories. One of the characters. Um, you know, uh, Bob Wells tells a story in this that he himself admits he hasn't told many people in his actual life. Um, yeah. And he tells it in this film, which is kind of an incredible, 
um, incredible gift of trust to Zhao and possibly um, done so because Zhao has demonstrated that she is a filmmaker that doesn't treat something like that flippantly. You know, she treats that with the reverence that it requires if someone is delivering it to you on film. Um, So, uh, you know, regardless of sometimes my... Uh, and, you know, uh, I think you mentioned, um, maybe you didn't mention it, but the Richard Brody article in The New Yorker, which kind of do- talks about the alignment between the narrative um, narrative aspirations and the documentary sort of successes of this mm-hmm. of this hybrid film. Um, I, I, I kind of actually agree in some part with Brody's, um, Brody's reading of the films kind of operating on two different levels. Uh, but at the same time, I also think that both are unifyingly successful um that that even my sort of qualms about the extent that which this film goes are you know like can be offset by the fact that i think this is just a great piece of filmmaking and yeah. a very earnest piece of storytelling that never rings untrue and i think i think the way i think what we've discussed about like a, a best picture winner or nominee uh withstanding that uh, weight hmm. kind of goes beyond even the Oscars, right? Like again, this is a film with good bones, with a good structure that uh, that that like it can take some hits, much yeah. like Fern. It can take some hits and it can keep going. Uh, and I don't know. It was it was a profoundly sad film that I found myself doing a lot of self reflection on and being interested in the characters, both fictitious and real, that it presented to me. And uh, I don't know. It was. It's definitely one of the strongest uh, pictures of 2020, no question. Yeah. Uh, in my mind, and I think you probably feel the same. Yeah, I certainly do. I certainly do. Um, um, we can have sort of a, a more detailed ranking conversation, but in a way, like sometimes perhaps I feel... on an episode, yeah. perhaps <laughs> maybe at some point before June, <laughs> maybe I don't know. Uh, well, what does time even matter anymore? Uh, but in a way, like discussing ranking sort of falls away when films are just good. You know, like when films are great, it's like it's sort of pointless to put them in order uh, because there's just disagree. like it doesn't matter. I need everything put in neat little rows. <laughs> From best to worst, and even if their increments are minute, I need it. Yeah. I need it. I'm kidding. I don't care. Um, <laughs> but for the sake of the podcast, you darn toot and I care. Yeah. Well, that'll be coming. Write us in at onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com with your top 10 of the year and where the nomad land is on it, or hit us up on Twitter with your angry tweets about why we shouldn't be buying from Amazon. There you go. Uh, I guess this is the backwards way of saying this has been the only podcast about the film Nomadland. Shahir, when you're not taking our format, backing up, flipping it, and reversing it, where can folks find you? You can find me mementoing myself backwards into another podcast uh, at my website, www.shahirdaud.com. That's S-H-A-H-I-R-D-A-U-D.com. Matt, when you are caught off guard by my unexpected throws to our email, where can people find you? You can find me just marveling in your modular genius over at my website m-a-t-t-h-e-w-k-r-o-l.com for my life and works Skeletor the number four p-r-e-z on instagram or p-s-n or emperor msk on twitter i have yet to check my playstation uh wait 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 what is your nomadland movie uh game accompaniment are we doing this we're doing it i'm making you do it what is your game accompaniment oh oh i'm i have it right here death stranding Oh, the post-service movie, right? Yeah. Well, kind of, sort of post. Yeah, I haven't finished it, uh, yeah. so I don't know entirely, but it felt very... Like, it's, uh, it is the game about an Amazon delivery person, right? I mean, kind of, <laughs> but but more helpful. Um, uh, yeah, that's probably be what it would be. Right. Um, I yeah. will check my PSN things. Maybe someone's in there that has mentioned the podcast. You're here, I'll let you know. Everyone, I'll let you know. You know, I uh, have a I've PSN just... account that I've well, never checked. Why don't chi- you talk about it? I've never checked. I've never, like... I've, I don't want anyone to know what I'm playing or how everybody, I'm playing, listen, and I don't want everybody. to play with other people. Okay, well, the, the Shahir hates fun. We I forget people. that from time to time. Yeah. But uh, I've played one video game with Shahir in my entire life, and it was StarCraft II. <laughs> <laughs> and we played for like 45 minutes, and it was great. It was, um, and, and also at some point I was like, wait a minute, how do you attack a, how do you attack a, 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 um, a mining plant again? I was like, there was, I was all this- just, <laughs> I said it was great. I didn't say it was fair. The, to be um, fair, we've also played Mortal Kombat, which I think I beat you in. 
No, you didn't. Yeah, I think I, I beat you in a couple of games of Mortal Kombat at your house. You I remember this very vividly. Throw on because your you were angry right about now. it. You were so mad about it. No, I disagree. <laughs> I don't think this ever happened. Uh, anyway, everybody, thank you so much um, <laughs> for for hanging out with us over this time. Uh, what are we doing next? Now we're off the rails. Now we don't have a plan, Shahir. I know, there's still movies we missed. I still think we got to do the 40-year-old version. I still think we got to do Judas and the Black Messiah. There's so many movies that we, we basically... I'd like to do Judas. Yeah, Judas we got to do. I, I feel like we got to do at least a couple of movies to reflect on Black History Month. Uh, there's so much we got to do. Time is nothing yeah. but a miserable pile of secrets. Oh, I, um, I, I still love that we get to do it. Yes, I'm just saying we only have so much time in the day. I know. It's a shame we won't be able to retire on our podcast uh, our podcast royalties. Well, listen, <laughs> uh, eventually everyone listening might be able to allow us to retire. Again, it, I, how much does it take to retire? Like we need like maybe like 50 bucks a month, right? Like that's kind of <laughs> how it or would work. Here, here's the thing. If you are living in a van, the thing that we have offered you is a long stream. <laughs> Of podcasts you can listen to on your trails. Sure, but it will not help you in any way, shape, or It'll form. It'll make so you maybe, far more miserable. Maybe you should think about uh, I don't I don't know something else. I don't <laughs> think we're helpful there. Um, everybody, thank you so much. We will talk at you next week, and I hope you're having uh, as lovely a time as possible in your lives. We will talk to you later. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye.